Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. The reality is, is that one could say that there are a lot of reasons to not show up to, church, to a church service uh, on a Sunday morning, right? Uh, I mean, think about it. We have, we have 24-7 access to Christian content from some of the best communicators in the world. Um, you can now like watch services online and on demand. So it's not just live streamed Sunday mornings, but actually those are archived and you can watch those anytime you want. Uh, what's, what's convenient uh, in the comfort of your own home. Uh, you have sermon podcasts, uh, many of those that I enjoy, uh, including this sermon podcast. Can't miss that chance for a commercial, right? So anytime that you're gone, uh, I hope that you go back and listen to the sermon podcast from your own community. And we also now have like apps on our phones uh, with access not just to the scriptures, but to commentary and video and all kinds of things. Uh, it would be easy for someone to think to themselves, you know, there's no reason for me to show up on Sunday because I can get all of the content at a later date and a different time. Uh, and see, that's just the thing. Um, uh, it seems to me that, that 24-7 access to Christian content, worship services online, podcasts that I listen to, Bible apps with commentary that I absorb, are all focused on providing information about Jesus and the gospel. Uh, with the goal, usually, of giving, having that information that will lead me then to right belief. Uh, and so it seems to me that for, the, for several generations now, the church, the, the universal church, the capital C church, has, has centered on belief. And, and we've come to understand discipleship almost exclusively as the collection of information. You with me? The, the, oftentimes when we start discipleship groups, what we mean is we're starting groups that will get together and discuss particular content. Uh, and there, don't, hear me, don't mishear me, there's nothing wrong with that at all, uh, but we've come to, we need to kind of broaden our view of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, because Jesus' primary message uh, was not believe the right thing. Uh, Jesus' primary message was an invitation to follow me. You with me? Uh, and even when he does call people to believe or invite people to believe, uh, he actually isn't using that word in the way that we tend to understand it. So for example, in Mark chapter one, verse 15, Jesus calls people to repent and believe the good news. Uh, but he isn't talking about passive belief in a particular set of doctrines, but rather the word translated believe is the word pistuo, uh, which shares the same root as what we translate as faith, and in a far better translation is actually trust or allegiance. So when Jesus calls us to belief, it, isn't, uh, it is about aligning our lives to a particular allegiance and trust in Jesus and the kingdom of God more than just a particular uh, assent, intellectual assent, or agreement to a particular set of doctrines. Uh, and so here's what I want to talk about. During, during, the, um, during the series, we've kind of been looking at the life of our early, the earliest believing communities out of Acts, and I want to turn our attention again to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. This is a classic passage uh, when talking about this. And I want to reiterate something I said last week. Uh, we, we, 
pastors like myself are famous for turning to these, this passage whenever we start talking about the church. Now, we do that not because this group of people in history was particularly uh, perfect or uh, idealized or anything like that, but we do that because we, we can find out and get clues to what was essential to their kind of believing life together before uh, church got kind of all the institutional stuff, right? And there's nothing necessarily wrong with all the institutional stuff, but to help us understand like what is essential to this shared life together, we can turn our attention to these earliest communities. So in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42, it says, this. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we looked at that last week, how it's so important to be a learning community together. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, You see, the witness of these earliest communities in Acts is that there was a particular Uh, there was a particular kind of action or edge to their shared life together. Uh, Notice that what we see here, they gathered together, they shared possessions, they prayed, broke bread, took care of those in need, worshiped together. Did you hear it? Gathered, shared, cared, prayed, worshiped. These are all action-oriented And yet we live in a day and age when a lot of the church's life is spent debating ideologies, right? And now those are important conversations to have and we need to have those. But I'm just reminded of Jesus' words when he said that we will be known by our love, right? By our love for one another. I sometimes wonder, and I hope that uh, you understand the pastoral care coming out of this, that, that, that there's not too much cynicism coming out, but, but if something were written about this, about the church today, I wonder if it might say something like, uh, they attended twice a month and made people sign a contract stating they believed the right thing before they would, could serve. <laughs> right? Um, and so information is great. And we talked again last week about the importance of the, and the necessity of being a learning community, of really unpacking what does it mean to pronounce Jesus Christ as Lord in this time and place. And that there's this, this communal discerning that needs to happen, that we need to be learners. So we talked about the importance of that, and information is great, but it isn't the same as a community coming together in order to encourage one another and spur each other on in the life of Christ. Okay, that's what I want you to hear. Information is great, but it isn't the same as a community coming together and and to encourage one another and to spur each other on in, together in the life of Christ. Now, let me give you an example. Let's suppose, let's suppose that a drum evangelist came to our town to proclaim the goodness of drumming. Okay? 
Now, myself, uh, when, if I hear this announcement about a, a drum evangelist coming to our town, I'm going to be interested in their message because I've always wondered about those drummers, right? In fact, I've often pictured myself as a drummer uh, before I started playing drums. I pictured myself as a drummer and I had no idea what to do. I had never taken any action on this mental picture of myself rocking out on the drums, right? So I had this kind of picture, my, my interest was peaked, but I'd never taken any action on it because I had no idea what to do or how to become a drummer. Well, I go to the event and the drum evangelist shares with me the good news. And he says, becoming a drummer is as easy as A, B, C. First, admit that you have done things out of rhythm. Okay? B, believe that there is a steady, unchanging rhythm to be followed. And then C, confess your allegiance to the metronome. Were you with me? This, this is how you become a drummer. It's as easy as ABC. And so I admitted and I believed and I confessed. And that, so that's what I did. And now I'm a drummer. <laughs> so I asked the drum evangelist, what should I do next? And he says, he gives me this whole list of things. And he says to me, first of all, you need to spend 15 minutes a day watching expert drummers on YouTube. Okay, I can do that. Fair enough. Spend too much time on YouTube already, might as well make it productive, right? Also, here's what you need. Here's a list of 10 professional drummers that you need to be following on Instagram. All right, okay, I can do that. Uh, and then I want you to, the next thing I want you to read is, I want you to spend about 20 minutes a day reading uh, the blogs. Blogs about polyrhythms, articulation, dynamics, subdivisions, and accents. For these are the texts that are the core, that tell us the core of what it means to be a drummer. But I don't want you to just read the good blogs. What I want you to do is here are some tips on how to read the original drum language, right? Drum notation, okay? Now, if you can, if you can read all of these blogs and you can do it in the original language as you can read the drum notation, then you are well on your way. But here's also, let me send you some links of some equipment that you need to get. Here's some equipment. You need to buy a stick bag and you need a drum key and a cymbal mallet and wire brushes and, oh, by the way, don't forget the cowbell. Right? <laughs> And so, so the drum evangelist comes to my town. He tells me the good news. It's as easy as ABC. So I admit, believe, and confess. And then I do all of the things that he's done. But let me ask you a really, really important key question. After learning all of this information, would I actually be a drummer? Interesting. Here's the thing about drumming. All the information in the world can never replace practice. <laughs> the actually sitting down and playing the drums, investing the time to painstakingly practice the things that are new and unfamiliar. You with me? And if you've ever learned an instrument, you know just how painstaking it can be. And so all of the information and the, the, the social media and like all of this stuff will never replace practice. And let me, let me say it this way, that in order to be a drummer, 
I need to put all of that information together into a set of practices that will form me as a drummer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, this is good. This is good, right? In order to be a drummer, I need to put all of that information together into a set of practices that will form me as a drummer. Now, here's the thing. You can try to short-circuit the hard work that is necessary to being a drummer by seeking out digital information. I tried. Okay? You can try to short-circuit the process all you want. Believe me, I tried. In my first six months of playing drums, I took online lessons, right? Online drum lessons, which is like a thing, right? There's a huge market for online drum lessons. Here's how it worked. I, I watched someone that I had never met uh, give me information about being a good drummer, uh, and they told me how to hold the sticks and what exercises to do. Uh, to which I tried, but that person was never there to give me feedback to let me know if I was actually practicing that information wrong, okay? So intuitively what I knew is that if I was going to be formed properly as a drummer, I needed more. I needed someone who could come alongside of me in the process. And so I hired an instructor, a teacher, a mentor, a guide who watches me, sits down right next to me, gives me instant feedback, who himself will sit down at the drums and begin to model what to do. And so I have someone also, here's the thing, I have someone who can now change the language and the metaphors of the technique so that they resonate with me. That I have someone who can call me out when I'm not practicing. Uh, here's the thing about a flesh and blood drum instructor, a mentor, a guide that can come alongside of me in the process. Here's the thing. I'm no longer anonymous. That when I was in, when I was in the on, online drum lessons, uh, I was anonymous. And the, the online drum teacher that had just put out a video that you could download for a fee, they never knew if I was practicing or anything. I was completely anonymous. But once I hired someone, once someone came alongside of me, then all of a sudden I was no longer anonymous. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. While digital resources are valuable, there is no digital replacement for practices done in community. You with me? So in community with other people, I have a twofold opportunity. The first opportunity is to participate in practices that will help form me as a Christian, not just give me information, okay? So the first one is the, I, have, I have the opportunity to participate in practices that help form me as a Christian, not just give me information, which is exactly what we do every Sunday morning in this church and precisely why we have structured our services the way that we have. Because when we gather together in services like this, we're participating in a whole set of practices that will help form me as a follower of Jesus. So every week we come together to worship and do this kind of weird thing of singing out loud together, right? Let's raise our hands and say this is a bit weird, okay? Uh, some of you sing louder than others. Some of you sing better than others, right? <laughs> but we do this thing together. Have you ever noticed these microphones? 
So by the communion table, it's not because we're trying to overtech our sanctuary. This is so that when you guys sing, we can hear it in our ears. So sing louder, right? Because we can't hear you very well. Uh, but, but we do that because as a worship band, we don't want to be totally disconnected from what is happening out there. That there's this corporate sense of what's going on and we want to be able to hear you sing. So every week we gather together to worship through music which is itself this kind of confession and this recognition that God is present with us, right? That it's together this confession that God is with us and our worship through song is also a response of praise to all that God has done on our behalf. That it is, it is, a, it is a recognition that God is the initiator of love in our lives. And our singing in response is a natural kind of response to the initiative that God has taken. Are you with me? And then every week we also gather together to hear the proclamation of the word. And I want to remind you again, when I say the proclamation of the word, I don't primarily mean the written word. I primarily mean the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. We come to proclaim Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his, his movement in our lives through the Spirit. Right, So every year or every week we gather together to hear the proclamation of the incarnate word of Christ. And we do this as a learning community that is seeking to explore the application and the implication of the gospel announcement that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now we can't help but be people of our time, formed and shaped by the culture around us. Right, We can't help but do that. So we gather together in a large group and then in small groups in order to discern what it looks like to be the people of God in this time and in this place. And then every week we confess the ways in which we have broken shalom between ourselves, creation, and God. And we do this not as a statement of our own value or even our core identity, right? But rather we do it as a way, as, a, as an honest recognition of sin in our lives, and each week we were, are reminded that in spite of the sin that we have participated in, that God is a God of love who offers his forgiveness freely. We are, we are reminded that there is no limit to his grace and no boundaries to his mercy, right? And every week we gather around the Lord's table because we believe that the Spirit of God is active in our gathering. And it reminds us not just of what God has done for us in Christ, but it also reminds us of what is true, that we are all one in Christ. And it's also this anticipation, this tangible anticipation of the, of the day when all things will be made new. And each week we come together and we pray. And we pray for justice and for peace. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are ill. We pray for Christians around the world. And then we join our voices in the Lord's Prayer week after week. All of these things, what I want you to see is that all of these things are communal practices that help form each and every one of us as a follower of Jesus. That these things work together to quite literally aim the desire of our hearts toward the kingdom of God. That we are being formed as disciples. Remember, discipleship is not just information like content put into my, the bucket of my head, right? But discipleship is this kind of more visceral thing where information and, and learning and knowledge is a key part, but I also am participating in a set of practices that are kind of viscerally aiming my heart to desire the kingdom of God. Ha! 
Yes, right? So that's why we do what we do. Now, author Rachel Held Evans uh, wrote a brilliant book called Searching for Sunday. And I, I considered for a second over three weeks reading the book to you, right? Like this is how good it is. And if you are at all interested in why church matters, I suggest to you uh, Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans. Now, before I, I read a couple of quotes from her book, I do want to mention this. Many of you have probably heard of Rachel Held Evans. What you may not have heard is that last month, at the age of 37, uh, she died suddenly due to a severe reaction to antibiotics that were being used in treatment for the flu. She left husband, two young, young kids, and she is such a valuable voice to the church, and she will be greatly missed. And she had just kind of this na national following um, and has written phenomenal books that will forever be treasured. But I want to read this from, I want to read two quotes from her book, Searching for Sunday. The first is from the introduction, and it says this. When my faith had become little more than an abstraction, a set of propositions to be affirmed or denied, it was the tangible, tactile nature of the sacraments that invited me to touch smell, taste, hear, and see God in the stuff of everyday life again. They got God out of my head and into my hands. And they reminded me that Christianity isn't meant to simply be believed. It's meant to be lived, shared, eaten, spoken, and enacted in the presence of other people. They reminded me that try as I may, I can't be a Christian on my own. I need a community. I need the church. And Rachel, as, as she kind of grew in popularity through her blog and through her books, Rachel became in many ways the spokesperson for a generation of Christians who were fed up with the church's attempts at impressing them while propping up structures that continued in racism and misogyny, right? And so as a result, she was often asked why young people are leaving the church and then asked the follow-up question of what can we do to help keep young people in the church? And so here's another quote from Searching for Sunday. She says this, We already know the answer to the question of how to keep young people in the church. And contrary to popular belief, it's not about making church more hip. It's not about adding coffee shops in the lobby or fog machines on the stage. It's not about pastors who wear skinny jeans. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> it's about communion. It's about baptism. It's about confession. It's about healing. It's about death and resurrection and all the beautiful, weird things the church has always been doing. Amen? Wow. In this final week of this series, what I want to say to you is that church matters because it gives us communal practices that help form us as Christians. And, and I would want to say to you that this is important not just for us, but it is important for generations to come, right? That the, the church matters because it gives us this communal practice of Christianity. We can get all the information in the world at our fingertips, but it's something else to gather flesh and blood together on a regular basis and practice Christianity. Yeah. Author and pastor Brian Zahn says this, if our Christian experience is merely a personal 
and spiritual experience without a deep commitment to the church and its practices. Our children might be Christian, but our children's children will not be. Let me read it again. If our Christian experience is merely personal and spiritual, without a deep commitment to the church and its practices, then our children might be Christian, but our children's children won't be. Well, I said a long time ago (laughs) that we have twofold opportunity. The first is the opportunity to participate in these practices. The second opportunity is this. The inside of community, I have the opportunity to put that formation into practice as I live with other people who will hurt, disappoint, disagree, and will share, help, heal, and give life, right? That, that it's, it's kind of two sides of the same coin, that, that being involved in a church on a regular basis is, is, gives me this opportunity to participate in these communal practices that help form me as a person of faith, but it also means, guess what? I'm in a community of people, <laughs> right? Have you ever kind of thought about the church conceptually and you're like, yay, church, and then you go and there's people there? Oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> have you ever had that? I have that almost every week, right? It's just like, oh, church is awesome, and then people, right? <laughs> I'm an introvert. <laughs> and I'm an Enneagram 9. It's like I want peace around, and it's so hard when there's not peace, right? And, and so you, you kind of have this, this two sides of the same coin that you participate in this formation together, And then you have the opportunity to practice that formation to one another, (laughs) right? Oh, man, like church life dictates. If we're really taking it seriously, if we're really doing it and plugging in, church life dictates that I have opportunities to forgive, uh, that I have opportunities to seek reconciliation. It also means that I have opportunities to be present, to love those who aren't like me, to be generous, right? I mean, can I be so bold as to say that living life with some church folks has given me lots of opportunities for forgiveness? (laughs) And I'm sure that church folk who have lived life with me have been, Andy has given me lots of opportunities for forgiveness, right? That I've given people equal opportunity to forgive. Joseph Beach writes this in his book entitled Ordinary Church. He says, We have to share life together close enough and long enough to truly hurt and offend one another to require real forgiveness. We have to spend enough quality time with each other to truly experience enough annoying, irritating differences to make acceptance genuinely meaningful. There's this pesky little truth about the universal church. And that is that the universal church doesn't exist except for in local congregations. If you take out local communities kind of doing their best to live this Christian life together, then the church universal disappears. That the church universal is always expressed and always exists in these local congregations. And one of the driving metaphors of the church is family. And that's one of the remarkable truths about the earliest faith communities that we've been studying as part of this series. 
is that everyone could have a family. Did you catch it in Acts chapter 2 that those who were poor had their needs met, those who are on the margins are brought in? Remember last week when we talked about kind of the earliest communities and how they were, how Christianity was able to grow in the midst of the Roman Empire and it was because it was this community so fundamentally different. They were welcoming people who were not welcomed, women and children among them, right? We kind of like look at the witness of these earliest communities and we recognize that one of the core metaphors to describe their life together would be that of a family. That everyone, one of the truths of of the earliest faith communities is that everyone could have a family in the church. That it didn't matter if you were married or single or widowed, rich or poor, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, every person could be part of the family. And in family, uh, you may have noticed from your biological family (laughs) that in family you kind of have the opportunity to put certain things into practice, right? Which is why Jesus will say, we will know you, people will know you by your love for one another. Can you be a functional family? (laughs) Can you welcome people from kind of all these groups and, and the folks who maybe don't have access or opportunity for family, can you welcome them into yours and maintain functionality and health? Well, it's a challenge that we're still working out all of these years later, but we lean into. Because loving each other well is practice for loving well any that would come through our doors. Do you hear that? Loving each other well is practice for loving well anyone that would come through our doors. And so church matters because it provides us this opportunity to participate in communal practices that form us as the people of God. But then the very same side of that coin is that it then, because it's communal, we have an opportunity to put that formation also into practice and say, can we do this and how are we doing this and are we living life together in a way that honors God? Well, every year on this day when we kind of turn our attention to year-end things as we've received the financial report, I also give... um, what is aptly or perhaps kind of a nerdy name, (laughs) the state of the church. And so as a fitting conclusion to our series, Why Church Matters, I present to you my 13th state of the church address. First, some updates. It's been a significant year in the life of Emmaus Road. First and foremost, we have introduced three defining marks that will help guide us into the future. As a reminder, they are, we teach, preach, and practice citizenship in God's kingdom. Number two, we shape our worship to retell the story of Jesus. And that's part of what I talked about this morning, that this formational aspect of how we worship, not just week to week, but through the seasons and through the calendar year and through the liturgical year. We, we shape all of that to retell the story of Jesus. And then number three, we pursue intergenerational ministry. And we look forward next week, uh, next Sunday, to have an intergenerational Sunday where the kids of all ages will be joining us in the service. And it's a little bit louder and there's a lot of movement, but we believe there's value in recognizing 
folks of all ages as full members of the body of Christ and this local church, amen? So we do intergenerational ministry. Now these defining marks will help clarify our identity as a church and focus our mission as we minister in Northern Colorado. I'm thankful for the help and the support of our leadership team in, the formulate, in, the, in formulating these defining marks. And I also believe that these statements, these defining marks will stand the test of time as we continue in ministry together. Now we know and we've gone over in this series that church is not equal to a building, but I am thankful for a space to call our own that can be used for sacred purposes. Uh, this year we took significant steps to steward this space well. We repaired and opened our cupola in the sanctuary. We replaced the carpet, which was desperately needed, right? <laughs> like, let's just take a moment to remember the pink carpet and, and, just, and then maybe never again think about it. Uh, these improvements have brought greater functionality and beauty to our place of worship. Thank you for your generosity in helping us to complete these projects. You know, the church leadership industry would want these annual reports to include figures of increased giving and greater attendance. And while there's nothing wrong with these metrics, they don't provide the whole picture of the life of a church. And so instead of growth and effectiveness, I'd rather talk about church health and fruitfulness. And while our normal metrics are steady, and you saw that we had a really great year financially, the more intangible metrics of health and fruitfulness is where I think we shine. I'm proud to say that Emmaus Road is a healthy church that is faithfully participating in kingdom work in Fort Collins. And so in an effort to maintain church health and to continue to increase fruitfulness for the kingdom of God, I submit the following dream statements. These statements describe the kind of church I dream of leading into the future. I dream of a church that is a learning community that faithfully discerns different applications and implications of the gospel announcement that Jesus is Lord. Learning and discerning is always meant to be done in community. That's why we give our attention to preaching on Sunday mornings, and that's why we have life groups throughout the week. Our hope is that you will be in conversation with others as we seek to discern what it means to be the people of God in this time and in this place. I dream of a church that embodies the ways of Jesus and is sensitive to the movement of the Spirit of God. We must resist the temptation to turn Jesus into an ideology. Do you hear me? We must resist the temptation to turn Jesus into an ideology. Jesus is not an idea to be used in service of our own ideals. Jesus is God made flesh, a historical person who is made present to us through the Spirit. Therefore, our faith in Jesus must be translated into faithful participation in the kingdom of God. And I'm thankful for all the ways that our impact team is giving us opportunities to show the love of Jesus in our city this year, we were proud to host raw tools and as well as a raw power peace training that will help us live into Jesus' invitations to be peacemakers. For these are tangible expressions of our efforts to walk in the ways of Jesus. And with sensitivity to the Spirit, we'll continue to explore ways to faithfully embody the ways of Jesus to one another and to the world.
I dream of a church that participates in formational practices that brothers and sisters from past and future would immediately recognize. You've heard me say before, and I'll say it again, and it's a lot of what the message was about this morning, but the way that we worship matters. While being sensitive and true to our own time, we also seek to be rooted in the wisdom that we have received from ages past. And so we will work, uh, we'll continue to participate in practices of baptism, communion, confession, assurance of forgiveness, and prayer, because these have been the practices of the church over the centuries. I dream of a church where a diverse group of people can find a family. The church is meant to be a beautiful expression of God's kingdom and the world to come. As such, we must work to make sure that it faithfully reflects the diversity of the area in which it is situated. So we'll work hard to make sure our systems, structures, and programs don't exclude people based on income, marital status, race, etc. And, and then finally, I dream of a church that will bear fruit for generations to come. A church that my great-great-grandchildren could call home. Because the church isn't just for us. Do you hear that? The church isn't just for us. We organize ourselves and we seek to live out the ways of Jesus so that we can pass on the faith to generations to come. And so we'll continue to invest in families by resourcing parents as spiritual mentors and teaching kids the scriptures. For we have received the faith from generations before us and we want to faithfully pass on a robust Christian faith to generations after us. This is the kind of church of which I dream. And not just for Emmaus Road, but for the church universal. And so this morning, I'm proud that Emmaus Road is healthy and fruitful. Thank you to each and every one of you that call this your church home for your participation in the kingdom of God and in the life of this community. I could not do this alone. I couldn't lead alone, and I couldn't be a Christian alone. (laughs) I need all of you, and you all are wonderful to be in life together with. And it's a privilege to serve as your pastor. And quite honestly, I'm amazed that you would continue to have me after 13 years. <laughs> it's real. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, let me say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table. God, we're thankful for today and for the opportunities that we have to worship you, to respond to your goodness. Thank you, God, for the life that you give us and the life that we have in you. God, I pray that you would help us to be this kind of church. And certainly the way that church looks would be so foreign to our ancient brothers and sisters. And yet, God, I pray that there would be certain things that are just core to what it means to be the church and why church matters that they would immediately recognize and find familiar. And so God, help us uh, to be faithful, not 
just to the faith that we have received and the ages and the wisdom that we've received from ages past, but Lord, help us to be faithful in following the movement of your spirit into the future. That your church might be here for ages to come. We recognize, God, that we're invited to be part of that. It's not up to us. You've promised to protect your church, but man, Lord, we want to participate in that work. And so, God, help us. And would you also form us and shape us as we gather together, that we recognize that that while there is certainly this communal aspect to our life together and as the people of God and as the church, we, we also don't want to look over the fact that, God, you want to change us, make us into people of new creation. And so, God, may our lives be formed, shaped, and changed uh, because of all that you have done. May we faithfully live as your people in this time and in this place, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.